This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of metastatic disease of the spine from the pathology section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick introduction. Metastatic cancer is the most common reason for a destructive bone lesion in adults. Carcinomas that commonly spread to bone include breast, in which 16 to 30 percent of breast cancer patients develop spine mets, lung, in which 12 to 15 percent of cases spread to bone, thyroid, in which 4 percent of cases spread to bone, renal, in which 3 to 6 percent of cases spread to bone, and prostate, in which 9 to 15 percent of cases spread to bone. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, bone is the third most common site for metastatic disease behind lung and liver. As far as demographics, metastatic bone lesions are usually found in older patients, defined as greater than 40 years old. As far as anatomic location, common sites of metastatic lesions include spine, then the proximal femur, then least commonly, the humerus. So again, the most common site of METS is the spine, where the thoracic spine is the most common site of bony metastasis. The second most common site of METS is the proximal femur. And know that the proximal femur is the most common site of fracture secondary to metastatic bone lesions, with a 65% non-union rate. 50% occur in the femoral neck, 20% occur pertrochanteric, and 30% occur subtrochanteric. Moving on to the etiology of metastatic disease of the spine, with respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of bone destruction is osteolysis, where osteolytic bone lesions are caused by tumor-induced activation of osteoclasts. This occurs through the rank, rank ligand, or rank L, and osteoprotegrin pathway. Note that PTHRP-positive breast cancer cells activate osteoblastic rank L production. Finally, osteoblastic bone metastases are due to tumor-secreted endothelin-1. Associated conditions with metastatic disease of the spine include metastatic hypercalcemia, which is a medical emergency. Symptoms include confusion, muscle weakness, polyuria and polydipsia, nausea and vomiting, and dehydration. Treatment includes hydration from volume expansion, loop diuretics, and bisphosphonase. Now let's talk about the principles of metastasis. So the mechanism of metastasis includes tumor cell intravisation, avoidance of immune surveillance, target tissue localization, extravasation into the target tissue, induction of angiogenesis, genomic instability, and decreased apoptosis. So in terms of tumor cell intravisation, note that the E-cadherin cell adhesion molecule on tumor cells modulates release from the primary tumor focus into the bloodstream. Target tissue localization involves attaching to the target organ endothelial layer via integrin cell adhesion molecules, which is expressed on tumor cells. Induction of angiogenesis is via vascular endothelial growth factor, or VEGF, expression. Metastasis to the spine involves vascular spread, which is done through Batson's vertebral plexus, which is a valveless venous plexus of the spine that provides a route of metastasis from organs to the axial structure, including vertebral bodies, pelvis, skull, and the proximal limb girdles. The mechanism of bone lysis involves an oncogenic cell that releases cytokines IL-6, IL-11, PTHRP, and TGF-beta. Know that PTHRP and TGF-beta activate osteoblasts, and osteoblasts secrete rank L that binds to rank on osteoclasts and activates osteoclasts. Finally, moving on to the mechanism of bone sclerosis, which is involved in prostate and breast metastasis, Note that prostate cancer cells secrete endothelin-1 or ET1. ET1 binds to endothelin-A receptor on osteoblasts and stimulates osteoblasts. ET1 decreases the wind suppressor DKK1, which activates the wind pathway, increasing osteoblast activity. As far as classification of metastatic disease of the spine, 
The one to know is the Takuhashi score, which is specific to metastatic disease to the spine. The prognostic score is based on six elements, general condition, extraspinal bony metastasis, number of vertebral bodies with metastasis, visceral metastasis, primary tumor, and neurologic compromise. A score of 0 to 8 gives you a prognosis of less than 6 months. A score of 9 to 12 gives you a prognosis of greater than 6 months. And a score of 12 to 15 gives you a prognosis of greater than 1 year. Moving on to the symptoms of metastatic disease of the spine, symptoms include pain, specifically axial night pain, which may be mechanical pain due to bone destruction or tumorigenic pain, which often occurs at night. Pain may also be secondary to metastatic hypercalcemia. On physical exam, patients may have neurologic deficits caused by compression of the spinal cord with metastatic disease to the spine. You may also find hyperreflexia in these patients. As far as the evaluation of metastatic disease of the spine, workup for an older patient with a single bone lesion and an unknown primary includes imaging, specifically AP and lateral of the spine in the region of pain, CT of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, a technetium bone scan to detect the extent of disease, and know that myeloma and thyroid carcinoma are often cold on bone scan, and this should be evaluated with a skeletal survey. Labs include a CBC with differential, ESR, basic metabolic panel, LFTs, calcium, phosphate, and alkaline phosphatase, and finally serum as well as urine immunoelectrophoresis, otherwise known as SPEP and UPEP. A biopsy should be carried out in patients where a primary carcinoma is not identified and know that obtaining a biopsy is necessary to rule out a primary bone lesion. Remember that you should not treat a bone lesion without a tissue diagnosis of the lesion. Finally, remember that metastatic adenocarcinoma not identified by CT of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis is most likely from a small lung primary tumor. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and lateral of the involved area of the spine. Findings include a purely lytic or mixed lytic-slash-blastic lesion. Remember that lung, thyroid, and renal are primarily lytic, 60% of breast cancer is blastic, and 90% of prostate cancer is blastic. A CT scan is helpful to identify metastatic lesions to the spine. An MRI is useful to show neurologic compromise of the spine. As far as studies to obtain in the workup of metastatic disease of the spine, as far as histology, characteristic findings include epithelial cells in clumps or glands in a fibrous stroma. Immunohistochemical stains positive for keratin, CK7, specifically for breast and lung cancer, and TTF1, specifically for lung cancer. Moving on to treatment of metastatic disease of the spine, as far as general considerations, remember the NOMS framework, where N stands for neurologic, O stands for oncologic, M stands for mechanical instability, and S stands for systemic illness. Neurologic is a measure of epidural spinal cord compression, or ESCC. 0 to 1 corresponds to low grade, and 2 to 3 corresponds to high grade. Oncologic refers to responsiveness to radiation. Mechanical instability refers to a spinal instability neoplastic score, or SINs, where a SIN score of 0 to 6 means no surgical consultation is required, while a SIN score of 7 to 18 means surgical consultation is advisable. Finally, in terms of systemic illness, this refers to formulation of the prognosis from the disease burden, medical comorbidities, and functional status. Treatment for metastatic disease of the spine can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes palliative care and radiation alone. Palliative care is indicated when the life expectancy is less than six months, and as we mentioned, the Takahashi scoring system can be used to determine life expectancy. Radiation alone may be indicated in patients who are not surgical candidates and when there is no signs of neural compression, neurologic deficit, or instability. 
Operative options include neurologic decompression, spinal stabilization, and postoperative radiation. This is indicated in the setting of metastatic lesions to the spine with neurologic deficits in patients with a life expectancy of greater than six months. The technique involves preoperative embolization indicated in metastatic renal and thyroid cancer to the spine. Complications of metastatic disease to the spine includes recurrence, hardware failure and spinal instability, non-union of fracture, as well as wound complications, and know that immediate soft tissue reconstruction has a lower complication rate than delayed reconstruction in patients undergoing revision metastatic spine tumor surgery. Finally, let's end this review session talking about the prognosis after metastatic disease of the spine. So median survival in patients with metastatic bone disease includes 48 months in the setting of thyroid cancer, 40 months in the setting of prostate cancer, 24 months in the setting of breast cancer, and in the setting of kidney cancer, this is variable depending on the medical condition, but maybe as short as six months. And lung cancer with metastatic bone disease has a median survival of six months. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. What factor has been shown to improve outcomes in revision metastatic spine surgery? And the choices are one, preoperative radiation therapy, two, surgery at greater than six levels, three, tobacco use by the patient, four, immediate soft tissue reconstruction, and five, utilization of the posterior approach. The correct answer to this question is four, immediate soft tissue reconstruction. Patients undergoing revision spine tumor surgery have improved outcomes with immediate closure as compared to delayed soft tissue reconstruction. To quickly review, patients with metastatic disease undergoing revision surgery have improved wound outcomes when immediate soft tissue reconstruction is performed. Risk factors for wound complications include previous spunking, irradiation, use of instrumentation, and revision surgery. In these patients, wound complications can be disastrous, and preventive measures should be undertaken. Delayed soft tissue reconstruction has a two-fold higher wound complication rate compared to immediate reconstruction. Mesfin et al. performed a systematic review looking at factors for wound complications and methods of prevention in cases of metastatic tumor spine surgery. They found wound complication risk factors included preoperative radiation, preoperative neurologic injury, revision procedures, and posterior approaches. Preventive measures identified included plastic surgery soft tissue reconstruction, intra-wound vancomycin powder, and percutaneous pedicle screw fixation. They strongly recommended that plastic surgery perform soft tissue reconstruction in revision metastatic spine tumor surgery. Dolan et al. compared outcomes in treatment with immediate versus delayed soft tissue reconstruction in spine tumor patients. They had 55 patients that underwent 70 soft tissue reconstructive surgeries, or FLAPs. The overall complication rate was 36.3%. However, wound complication was 60% in the delayed reconstruction group compared to 29% in the immediate reconstruction group. Additionally, the delayed group has significantly lower outcome scores. They recommend performing immediate soft tissue reconstructive surgery in these patients. Moving on to the next question, which of the following diagnostic tests should not be a part of the initial workup of an adult presenting with multiple discontinuous metastatic spinal lesions with a significantly elevated prostate-specific antigen or PSA test and no prior cancer history? And the choices are one, prostate biopsy, two, computed tomography or CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, 3. Bone marrow biopsy, 4. Whole body bone scan, and 5. CT-guided biopsy of a spinal lesion. The correct answer to this question is 3. Bone marrow biopsy. 
So in patients with multiple spinal metastases on their initial presentation and a high index of suspicion for a primary source, for example, an elevated PSA pointing to prostate cancer, staging and diagnostic studies can be ordered together since they are necessary to establish a diagnosis and to initiate treatment. Of the listed choices, a bone marrow biopsy would not be a part of the initial workup since prostate cancer rarely metastasizes to the bone marrow. To quickly review, spinal metastases are the first sign of malignancy in 20% of patients with metastatic disease of the spine. The most common cancers that metastasize to bones are thyroid, lung, breast, kidney, and prostate. A diagnostic algorithm that includes history, physical examination, plain radiography, laboratory testing, bone scintigraphy, and CT scanning will identify the primary tumor in 85% of cases of spinal metastasis. A biopsy will identify another 8% and can be of the likely primary source or an area of suspected metastasis. Rose and Bukowski review the evaluation and management of spinal metastatic disease. They stress that both diagnostic and treatment strategies must be individualized to patients. Three specific categories of patients present with spinal metastasis. One, patients with known metastatic disease. Two, patients with known malignancy but without a history of metastatic disease and three, patients with no prior history of malignancy. Patients in categories two and three require further evaluation prior to treatment. Rugraf discusses the evaluation of a patient presenting with carcinoma of unknown origin with bony metastases. The author emphasizes the importance of combining the history, clinical exam, laboratory, and radiographic studies in order to diagnose the primary malignancy and that biopsy is most effective as a confirmatory test. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, prostate biopsy is incorrect, as given the significant elevation of PSA, a prostate biopsy may be a part of the initial workup to establish a diagnosis. Answer 2, computed tomography or CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis is incorrect because this is required for the appropriate staging of metastatic disease and should be included in the initial workup. Answer 4, whole body bone scan is incorrect, as a whole body bone scan should be part of the initial workup of a patient with spinal metastatic disease to further determine the extent of metastasis. Finally, answer 5, CT-guided biopsy of a spinal lesion is incorrect, as a CT-guided biopsy of a metastatic spine lesion is a reasonable part of the initial workup since these lesions can be easier to biopsy than visceral lesions in the liver-slash-lung-slash-nodal metastasis that may be discovered on a CT scan. And moving on to the final question, you are caring for a 63-year-old female with metastatic breast cancer to the lumbar spine. Her neurological examination shows significant weakness in leg function, and she is having difficulty ambulating. Imaging shows significant neural element compression by the tumor and complete erosion of the L1 vertebrae. She has no other sites of metastatic disease and is otherwise healthy. What treatment option do you recommend to best maintain her function? And the choices are one, palliative therapy. 2. Complete neural element decompression. 3. Complete neural element decompression with instrumentation to stabilize the spine. 4. Complete neural element decompression, instrumentation, and postoperative chemotherapy. And 5. Complete neural element decompression, instrumentation, and postoperative radiotherapy. The correct answer to this question is 5. Complete neural element decompression, instrumentation, and postoperative radiotherapy. So declining neurological function in patients with metastatic disease requires treatment. In their landmark study, Patchell et al. evaluated the treatment of spinal cord compression from metastatic cancer by a randomized multi-institutional trial that assigned 101 patients to surgery with post-operative radiotherapy versus radiotherapy alone. The primary endpoint was the ability to walk after treatment. 
Secondary endpoints included urinary continence, muscle strength, functional status, need for corticosteroids and opioid analgesics, and overall survival time. They found that direct neural element decompression plus postoperative radiotherapy was superior to treatment with radiotherapy alone for patients with spinal cord compression caused by metastatic cancer. Schmidt et al. and Climo et al. reviewed the literature regarding single and multimodal treatment options for metastatic disease to the spine with and without direct spinal cord compression. That's all for this review about metastatic disease of the spine. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.